Okay, so welcome to uh, episode two of the Sydney Institute of Marine Science podcast series. Uh, where we talk about, you know, I guess emerging trends in marine science. We talk with some of uh, our great research network here, and we talk. We're also exploring the theme of climate change and is it too late to act, and, and the implications in marine science. Today, it's my great pleasure to have that we've got with us um, Dr. Mitch Gibbs from the University of Sydney. Um, Mitch, welcome, and uh, you'd like to do an intro. Yeah. Oh, thanks for having me. I am happy to be here. Um, so I guess just a little bit of background about myself. Um, so Mitch Gibbs, um, grew up in the Dungani Nation on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. Uh, it's Kempsey. Um, I've got a postdoc at Sydney University at the moment, uh, just looking at Indigenous knowledges around coastal management and shellfish and, and how those Indigenous knowledges are super beneficial for the understanding of the, I guess, the whole interconnected web. Um, and so I guess giving a better understanding for that ecology and that um, into that Western science of um, the academy as well. Um, but also giving back that um, respect and acknowledgement for community and community knowledges. Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, I, I guess, you know, it's an interesting sort of follow on question from that, Mitch, is that, you know, Western science, I don't know. We've sort of been we're using scientific methods now for you know five six hundred years is, is I guess the formation of mo- modern science, mm-hmm. um, and I think you know most scientists have a particular worldview, and sometimes that excludes I guess you know um, indigenous knowledge all over the world that's you know. 30, 40, 50,000 years of accumulated knowledge. Yeah. How have you found like trying to bridge that gap and, and how have you found, I guess, the scientific community in terms of respecting that knowledge and embracing it uh, to, to, you know, to, I guess, to enhance our own Western science methods? Yeah, like, um, especially more recently, um, people and like, especially like uh, the academy sort of side of things, so um, universities, uh, anywhere that there's a um, academic institution, They've been a lot, lot more um, encouraging to be able to sit there and listen to um, Indigenous communities. And one of the problems, though, is that we see that the engagement between the community and, well, in fact, the engagement between the university and the community isn't that strong. And that's where communities are worried, like they have been, like it has happened previously, where their knowledge is going to get taken from them. And, and it's going to be one of those things where universities have all this information communities don't and then they pass it off as their own anyway and so um, communities can be rightfully a bit hesitant in um, really sharing a lot with the um, universities and and for that academic space but um, I feel like more and more the universities are putting out their hand and saying yeah look we did screw up Um, we have done some bad stuff but we wanted to fix that. We want to give that acknowledgement. We want to give that respect back to the community. And um, we want to listen to your knowledge holders so that we can better understand these places and these uh, ecosystems as well. So I think that it is getting a lot, lot better. Um, I can remember when I was in my PhD and there probably was no one talking about Indigenous knowledges really, especially around marine biology. A little bit around fire, but... Um, but now so, so many more people are, are going to a, the Indigenous communities and saying, look, we need your help. Like, you know this place more than we do. You've seen it, you've lived it. Um, yeah, can you help us out? And, and so often the Indigenous communities are really wanting to, to help out, to, to share their knowledge so that we can better 
understand those places. So, yeah. Well, it's probably a question you know that I'd have for, for the institute here in that you know we've we've got a huge project underway, Project Restore, mm. um, which is looking at uh, I guess uh, both conservation and sustainable management, um, but but more importantly restoration yeah. of Sydney Harbour, um, and and I think it's uh, something we have to engage with the community you know as part of that program, um, and I think you know we're, we're doing we're trying and you know it's it's certainly you know it is a front of mind uh, topic for us but you know how can we better engage with with you know the indigenous community to you know to bring them more into programs like project restore well i think like generally speaking on um any projects but um i think project restore's already done a, a good job where you've already because uh, i've spoken to um paco and, and martina and and really spoken about um what we should be looking at doing and that first, that first part of it is having that engagement at the start of the project. It's not waiting to the end of the project and being like, oh, community, oh, that's right, we need, we need to have Indigenous community, let's, let's talk to them now. When everything's sorted out, when all of the places have been chosen. Um, whereas, so I, like, I've got a project coming in, or hopefully coming in, we'll see, um, with the Gamay Rangers, and, and that whole project really works around um, what the community wants to be restored, where they want to restore it, and how they want to restore it. Um, and like giving space at the start of those projects for that. And I feel like when, uh, and like in Project Restore's case, you've got um, people from uh, Billow Group or from the Lands Councils, and they're coming in um, and having that active part in that very, very early on, instead of it being laid in the piece and it not really having any sort of impact. Yep. So yeah, it's really that early, early piece, early sort of start of that engagement to have that impact. Yeah, look, I'm, I mean, I'm hopeful in Project Restore that, you know, things like site selection, but, but also, you know, some of the management practices we might do in terms of, you know, we're looking at, at um, you know, seagrass re or restoration and, and, you know, collection from other locations and then how we put that into, into those locations. You know, I'm sort of hoping that, that you now we can do something that, that's reasonably meaningful there, but, but it, you know, it's a, it's a long path to walk, I think, at this stage. <laughs> Yeah, um, Mitch. You know, you, we said earlier we talked a little bit about your, you know, your background and, and you, know, you know, I guess from the science, the Western side, side that you know, there's an, there's elements of you know, uh, specialisation in, in shellfish and also coastal management practices. Mm. You know, maybe talk a little bit about what what some of the the, the more recent research you've been working on in, in those areas might look like. Yeah. So um, I've got at the moment three projects. Um, ones with uh, so, with the projects, because we're marine-based and um, we're working in the estuary, which then means that in some places we work with quite a few different communities. So the first one is um, I was working with the Warramai um, people and up in Port Stephens. Um, and then I was working with along Port um, Jackson, just out here, um, and then Gamay as well, so Botany Bay. And um, obviously along um, bits of Gamay and then um, more so in Port Jackson, there's more communities that have a part in that and um, a lot of it's just sitting down, talking to each of those communities, um, understanding my side of it is um, trying to show and record a lot of the Indigenous knowledges so that it can be stored in a place that is always kept as their knowledge and so making sure that when information is shared from community to either myself or anyone else there's a protocol to say it needs to go through this. So um, using the proper ethics approval and 
those sorts of things to make sure that um, that that knowledge stays with the community. And and there, um, like when I talk about the ethics approval and, and what entails in that, they they're a lot more comfortable with it being knowing that um, it's not under anyone else's ethics because that means that it can be owned in inverted commas yeah. um, by someone else. But um, but anyway, going back to the project, um, working with um, those four areas and then um, listening to the community, listening to what our elders have to say about these places and the organisms within these places. Um, and then I guess putting it into perspective on, I guess, a Western ideology. So, um, so an elder shares a story about um, oysters and then um, based on what we know as Western understanding of oysters or how they spawn or um, when they spawn or anything like that, um, equating that to that story, showing that that story has a terrible, well, not terrible, but a, an amazing amount of knowledge within it and being able to then say, whilst um, we have all that knowledge within community, we should be listening to it. Yeah, wow. Um, there's a lot, a lot for me to sort of take in and process there. Um, there's, a, there's a sort of a lot wrapped up in that. But there's one question I sort of have is, I guess, you know, you talked about ethics and, and the, the sharing of knowledge and communication. My understanding, and I could be wrong, please correct me if I am, but um, that, that, you know, Indigenous culture, it's, it's an oral language and oral history. Mm. And, and, you know, in terms of capturing that and documenting it and creating, I guess, written artefacts, like, you know, how does that flow into, into I guess, the ethics of that collection? Well, that's, that's a hard thing because, um, obviously, um, a lot of, from what I understand from um, the elders I've, I've um, spoken to as well, is that um, it's all very evolving. So, um, whereas once something's written down, it's very stake. Yep. So, um, but I think that what my understanding of talking to the elders about it is that, one, everything that's written goes back to the elders to say if they're okay with it, if they're not okay with it, scrap that don't publish anything, whatever it is. Um, and so it always goes back to the elders to say whether that's what they wanted. Um, but I think too that, whether this has been in the future or something, but if we start looking at what indigenous knowledges tell us now, and if it's put into print media and it says 2023, and then in 10 years, um, we talk to the community and they tell us let's say a different story around that same thing, um, it still has that, like it still has that tradition of storytelling whilst it's not um, now in that piece, it's not an oral piece, um, that story in the community doesn't change as in like it's still their story and it still continues to tell the, the points that they wanted to tell um, while the story may evolve. Um, that piece at, written at that time will show specific parts of that. But then we can see how things have changed by looking at how the next piece, let's say 10 years later, um, has also changed from that point. But like, I'm not in those articles, I'm not gonna literally be reciting a story that someone said. Uh, because like, if people wanna hear that story, if people wanna know that knowledge, they should be talking to the community. So um, I, I will be, or I have um, just been, I guess, equating things to yeah. say, well, this is part of a story and this is what part of that story kind of means, but yeah. Okay, yeah, so I'm, you know, obviously a very important part of it, you know, bringing it all, I guess, bring it all together and, and for, you know, f you know, 
for us as, as, as science, you know, taking up the relevant parts that, that are important that we can do meaningful things with. Yeah, and also like, um, especially with those, uh, with the stories with communities, um, like from what I've seen, elders want to share anyway, but they also want acknowledgement for that sharing, so. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Um, Mitch, I'm just gonna ch- change speed a little bit now, you know, yeah. and so part of the, the I guess the, the, one of the broad themes in, in this podcast is, is, you know, climate change and the impacts, you know, in the marine environments that we see, um, you know, I think, it's largely anticipated that you know with with a pending uh, El Nino, we're we're going to probably have the hottest ocean temperatures on record, and we're already seeing that I think in the northern hemisphere at the moment they're yeah. recording you know some some incredibly warm ocean surface temperatures you know um, in, in in very um, you know, northern regions. Um, so so I guess you know my, my, my sort of question is is you know again around marine science and and certainly. Um, you know, how that might come together with, with indigenous knowledge. You know, is it too late to act? Is it, you know, we talk a lot about hope and, and we should have hope, um, but we're, we're sort of, it feels like we're at minutes to midnight and, and you know, in your view and, and, and you know, your experience in, in the marine environments, you know, is it too late? And if it's not, you know, where should we be focusing our effort and, and, and energy? Well, I guess, um, I guess I'll, I'll never say it's too late to act because, um, if it was, then what would be the point? Like, what would be the point of any of us? I don't know. Like, it's very often known, and I don't know whether it's just in Indigenous communities or um, uh, everywhere, but, like, like the health of the waterways has and shows the health of the environment, health of the communities, health of the ecosystems. And um, and if that, was to, if that was too late and it was just going to die out, then we would all die out anyway. Um, I'm sure science will probably come up with something, but um, but I don't really want to live in one of those post-apocalyptic sort of movies. Um, so no, I, I I don't think it's too late, and I think um, I, I think the only thing we can do is have a much more holistic look of our environments, and then a holistic look at how to help our environments. Um, which is why, I, like, obviously, um, I'll always promote Indigenous knowledges um, in that sort of instance. But I know overseas they're doing, um, it, like, First Nations knowledge in Canada and Pacific Northwest of America, and and they're doing very similar stuff around um, those waterways and that. And it's showing extremely good results. Uh, probably the best restoration projects in the world at the moment. And um, and all of that is because they were based in community. And so. I think if we're looking at a, to restore our environments, whilst we're going to have obviously changing environments from what have always been, we can have, a, I guess, an Indigenous um, understanding of it. So it's a much more holistic view of that ecosystem instead of a very Western science view of... And, I, and as an example, like I did my PhD in oysters and I took oysters out of the environment, stressed them to temperature and CO2, and then didn't feed them for a while. It's like... That's two factors, maybe three if you count in the food. And um, whilst that gives us some insight, it doesn't tell us what's going to happen. It doesn't give us a, an overarching view of how oysters are going to affect in the environment because there's other things that affect that as well, not just oysters, CO2 and temperature. So um, Western knowledge often is such a niche field all joined together to make a slight understanding of something, whereas Western knowledge, um, Indigenous knowledge is so much of a 
holistic sense. And so, yeah, I guess have a holistic understanding and yeah. Yeah. Great answer. And, and you know, again, I think, you know, things I, I look, there's a few things I, I, I carry hope around. I think, you know, the voice of, of some of the, the future generations and some of their passion for, for radical change, um, the, the way we, you know, we, you know, we take away from the environment, take away, we, you know, we, as a society, mm. we're, we're just massive consumers. Oh, yeah. um, and I think, you know, seeing that, that changing uh, generational shift, but also embracing, you know, I think a more holistic view of, of, uh, of ecosystem via, you know, through indigenous lens is again, something that gives me a lot of hope. Mm. Um, it's actually a really good segue, um, Mitch. You know, you're you you know the recipient of a very prestigious uh, scholarship, Fulbright, mm. um, and you're imminently leaving, um, tra- traveling to the US to, to, to take up that, that residency. Yeah. Um, maybe to just talk to us a little bit about about the Fulbright, and what you'll be studying, and, and where you'll be. Yeah. Uh, um, so as I said before about the Pacific Northwest, that's that's where I'll be. I'll be um, at the Western Washington University in Bellingham. Um, and I guess my whole project is really learning from, so like I said before, they've got, um, they've got some really good uh, restoration projects and, um, and these restoration projects have started in community and then have joined up with universities and the government to be able to become flourishing. They, um, but what they've done is that they've used indigenous knowledges to be able to, to really promote that, so really start start the ball kind of rolling kind of thing. So um, you've got, so originally they um, started looking at clam gardens and the clam gardens um, are these rock, like rock walls that are built that which then level out the sand. So the clams can only live within about, I think they said a 30 centimeter um, height in the water, in the water column. And so if you build a rock wall, then it levels out um, an area to flatten it out. So you, that 30 centimetres is a lot longer, which allows more clams to be there. Um, and that was based on these clam gardens that had been there thousands of years before. And so they just really started to bring them back and really just restore them, treat them like gardens um, and just upkeep them again. And um, because of that, they've been able to see that these the numbers in these have just exponentially grown. Um, but outside of that as well, you've got one um, ecosystem on the inside of that rock wall, but then you've got another ecosystem on the outside of that rock wall. And um, a lot of this is bringing back indigenous knowledges to those places as well, understanding stories that have been told to them that they didn't really understand, um, giving identity back to these places. And, and as I said before, like the um, impact of the environment is massive, being able to so much benefit towards the environment with its health, um, with its biodiversity and with, it, um, with ecosystem um, interactions. Um, and so I guess my whole project is learning from that, learning from that, how they initiated these projects, being able to understand how we can do that in Australia, but also understand all of the pitfalls or challenges that they had there as well. Um, all of those challenges that they had between universities, between governments, um, like a lot of Western institutions like universities are very similar around the world. And so we'll, I know that if they had problems around either funding or um, either, um, intellect, intellectual property or things like that, we will probably have a similar sort of thing as well. And so being able to understand those challenges that they had, um, but then 
hopefully be able to gain up to speed to where they are. Now they've been doing this for like seven to 10 years, depending on where they are. And um, these projects are just getting better and better every year. Um, and so over those seven to 10 years, they've had a few problems throughout. And so again, um, learning how those projects initiated, also the challenges that are in there. So then hopefully we can catch up to that seven or 10 years. Now it's, it's not gonna be a fast process, but if we can learn from the challenges, then I think we'll be much better in, instead. So yeah, anyway, bring, um, understanding that, that concept and that, um, that ideology, and then bringing that same principle back to Australia. Sounds amazing. Um, and the Pacific Northwest is certainly a, a very beautiful part of the world. And the indigenous culture there, just very quickly, are you talking about, are we talking about the Hayden Nation? Uh, Swinomish. Okay. Yeah, so along the Salish Coast. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, one final thing, or a couple of final things before, before I let you go, Mitch. One, one is, is, you know, you were, again, you were a, a recipient of the uh, Exilium Award yes. uh, here through, through the Institute, um, which is targeted specifically for you know, seed funding for early career researchers. Maybe talk a little bit about, you know, how some of those, you know, smaller, you know, seed type um, opportunities, you know, enable um, ECRs to, I guess, um, you know, progress their careers. Yeah, look, I um, like being an ECR. Um, it can be quite hard to get funding. Um, being able to show, not being able to have that backing to start with. Being able to show that someone's given you the chance, and and then there's the outcomes to that project. Um, going for bigger um, projects in the future, having that backing already is a huge thing. But also, just being able to do the research not being stuck in um, whether it be teaching or constantly running around trying to find more funding for things that you just don't really have time to do because you're constantly either applying for more grants or teaching or whatever it may be. Um, so being able to get a fun, like some of the funding like Exilium um, has benefited uh, me especially a lot, but I also know some of the other um, Exilium recipients who have said the same thing, that it has benefited them so much. And on my side, um, so one of the projects I spoke about before um, with the Port Jackson region, that, that whole project is funded by Auxilium. And that has allowed, it's obviously allowed me to be able to continue working with communities, but it's also allowed the communities to share and to give, I guess, um, what they want to give, but also be acknowledged for that knowledge as well. And so on my side, it's been able to give much more than just the funding. It's been able to um, open doorways. And like, for me anyway, all I see myself as is a, is a conduit for, um, for indigenous knowledges to be in a university, whether, and that's obviously up to what the community wants to share. But, um, but like that conduit, that, that piping, I guess you could say in an electrical term, um, gets a lot bigger when you get those fundings. And, and those fundings, Again, go to community, show the respect to the community, and um, the community feels heard, and and that understanding that they have so much knowledge that um, academic spaces should be listening to them. And so, um, yeah, whilst it's been hugely beneficial for a um, research sort of side of things, I feel like it's been beneficial for the community as well as. Um, as well as people outside the community understanding Indigenous knowledges as well, understanding that our communities have a huge amount of knowledge and um, people are, are starting to learn that. Yeah, wow. 
Um, just a, a bit of a plug here, you know, the Exilium uh, window is currently open, so if you're an ECR and you're listening to this podcast, um, please get in touch with us. You know, it's, uh, the window closes in about two weeks and then we go into the selection process, so we're really excited to be, uh, to be able to, to, at this point, um, you know, put out the 2023 Exilium Awards uh, sort of late July, early August. Mm. Um, Mitch, one last thing before I let you go is just, um, you know, I sort of ask all, all people who participate in these podcasts, you know, what's one thing you know, I guess you're listening to or watching or reading at the moment, which is, uh, you know, maybe outside of, or outside or inside of your professional interest, but, uh, you know, what's what's taking your interest at the moment? Well, um, I have to say Korean shows on Netflix. Yep. <laughs> the, um, yeah, I'd say... So my partner and I have been watching, um, there's a show called Bloodhound. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's, uh, it's about this, um, uh, like this syndicate of, um, like really bad people in Korea who are like scamming out these really good, um, business owners. And then these two guys who then, um, join up with this old shark, um, loan shark kind of guy that has changed his ways and he only gives money to people who are um, uh, who are sick and that they need money and, and interest-free loans kind of thing. Um, and anyway, they kind of um, beat up the people who are doing the wrong thing, so. It's Very cool. cool. <laughs> we, we, all have to, we all have to have a, a guilty pleasure uh, yeah. in my pitch and uh, you know, my, I'll add it to my list of, of, uh, of a long list of, you know, to watch on Netflix. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, in the middle of the new the last season of uh, Black Mirror at the moment, which is oh yeah, I saw that too. Yeah, very the, the uh, I must say um, the the first one was really good, um, and then I watched that second one, and it um, oh I thought to myself if anyone hasn't watched it I, I won't spoil it, but I thought the um, like the ending could have been ended um, like two thirds of the way through, yep. and then it became um, and then I felt sorry for the kid. <laughs> yeah, um, but but you know the, uh, I I love Black Mirror. It's always a very interesting, uh, you know, dialogue on on society and and you know the the, the way we we think of things and, and things like that. That was probably a good 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 commentary on on fame and things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, Mitch, thank you so much for your time. I I know you're a man to man, and and uh, you know really appreciate you can make the time to be out here at uh, at the institute today. No, look, thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you, Mitch. Thanks, mate.